Hello listeners, welcome to Itihasa, an Indic history podcast. This is your host Narendra Vikram and you're listening to episode 58 of this season Vijayanagara. In our previous episode, we ventured into the extraordinary reign of Venkataraya, a ruler who steered the Vijayanagara empire through turbulent times and reclaimed most of the lost territories. It's worth calling out one fact before we begin this episode which is it is a misconception that the illustrious vijayanagara empire crumbled entirely in the wake of the disastrous battle of the lakota in 1565 ce such a narrative is not only distant from the truth but also bears the markings of false propaganda or misconceptions perpetuated by certain vested interests these vested interests certainly seem to want to dilute the rich hindu heritage of vijayanagara this grand hindu empire did not disintegrate like a fragile house of cards it was a clash of civilizations and it fought it well to the end much like its counterparts among the hindu kingdoms and empires that came before it or even after it it valiantly stood its ground fighting resolutely until the last breath against a fanatical sultanate that sought to obliterate every vestige of hindu existence and its cherished way of life it was a testament to the enduring spirit of a civilization that had weathered countless storms throughout its checkered history in the previous episode we witnessed the empire's resurgence the impact of venkataraya's leadership on the morale of vijayanagara forces tributaries allies and polity alike as we embark on this new episode we pick up where we left off delving deeper into the zenith of venkataraya's rule and the enduring legacy he left behind so join us as we continue to unravel the captivating stories that shaped an empire and explore the heights of a ruler's reign No other conflicts between the realms of Golconda and Vijayanagara find mention in the annals of Mahmudan histories. However, during this period, the Sultan of Bijapur, Ibrahim Adil Shah II, launched numerous expeditions into the Canaries region, a tale we shall explore in upcoming chapters. These incursions prompted an alliance between Venkata and Burhan Nizam Shah of Ahmednagar. against Bijapur's encroachments subsequently Ibrahim Adil Shah resumed his march southward and laid siege to the Penukunda fort as the chronicles tell us Venkata in this formidable conflict against the sultan of Bijapur confronted his adversary with a massive army comprising 700000 infantry 40000 cavalry and 500 elephants It's worth noting that historical accounts from bygone eras frequently feature exaggerated figures regarding the size of armies engaged in battles. Such exaggeration can arise from chroniclers' tendencies to embellish their narratives for dramatic impact or political motives. In the case of the Venkataraya and Ibrahim Adil Shah II's conflict, 
reported troop numbers like the colossal 700,000 infantry and 40,000 cavalry attributed to Vijayanagara could have been inflated to enhance rulers' images or, you know, to underscore the conflict's magnitude. Similarly, figures related to the Ibrahim Adil Shah's forces may also be subject to exaggeration. Lacking precise records and reliable sources, historians often approach these numbers with caution, acknowledging their potential distortion. When the Sultan drew near, Venkata entrusted the command of both the city and his forces to one of his trusted nobles and sought refuge within the fortress of Chandragiri. Though the Mohammedan accounts do not explicitly name this noble, it's highly probable that he was none other than Mantla Ananta, often referred to as the right hand of the emperor of Karnataka Samrajya. The Siddhartha inscription alluding to him speaks of how he destroyed the pride of the Mohammedan Padishah during the Battle of Penkunda, likely referring to this very campaign. Ibrahim's siege of Penkunda persisted relentlessly for three long months. The Sultan seemed resolute in his determination, intent on either capturing the city by force or compelling the besieged general to surrender. Farishta recounts that after three grueling months of siege, the Penkunda garrison was on the verge of surrender due to dwindling provisions. According to his account, Venkataraya adopted a clever strategy. He allegedly enticed a one Handiyatam Nayak, the leader of the Burjis, with the promise of 24 lakhs of rupees and five elephants, convincing him to defect from the Sultan's army and harass their camp. Nayak's desertion forced the Sultan to retreat to his kingdom, leaving Mustafa Khan to guard the frontiers. In the early 17th century, Vijayanagara enjoyed a period of respite from the Sultanate's incursions. The Jesuit letters of the time make no mention of conflicts between Venkata and the Deccan Sultans in the latter part of his reign. However, a significant threat was emerging in the north, in the form of a rising Mughal Empire. In 1593, following the subjugation of the northern provinces, the Mughal Emperor Akbar dispatched an army led by Prince Murad and Khan Kanan to initiate the conquest of the Deccan. They besieged the city of Ahmednagar, which valiantly was defended by Regent Chand Bibi. Despite her efforts, Ahmednagar eventually fell into the hands of Sultan Daniel, Akbar's third son, seven years later in 1600 CE. During the same period, while Akbar's forces were besieging Asargar, he dispatched an embassy to the Emperor of Vijayanagara. The details of this embassy, previously unpublished, are revealed in a letter from Father B. Kotinho, dated August 1600 CE, from Chandragiri. Father Kotinho doesn't specify the ambassador's name, but mentions him as a prudent and experienced individual. Upon arriving at Chandragiri, as there were no suitable lodgings for such visitors, the official responsible for their reception requested the Jesuit fathers 
to accommodate the ambassador in their house for two days. The stay extended to a month, during which the ambassador informed the Jesuits about their activities at Akbar's court. The reason for the extended stay of Chandragiri's ambassador was that Venkata didn't grant him an audience for 20 days. Venkata had been cautioned by his advisors not to trust Akbar. They believed that if three Mohammedan kings of Ahmednagar, Bijapur and Golconda submitted to Akbar, he would likely seek to bring the Vijayanagara Empire under his control. In response to this warning, Venkata asserted that his kingdom was in the hands of God and he would never submit to a Mohammedan ruler like Akbar. If Akbar were to approach, war would surely follow. Finally, Akbar's envoy was received by Venkata, who received gifts on behalf of his sovereign. However, Venkata promptly returned the four horses and other presents, as well as the sums of money provided by the ambassador, stating that they were meant to cover his expenses. The concerns and suspicions that arose among the nobles at Venkata's court were entirely justified. Father Jerome Xavier, who was with Akbar's forces as they prepared to besiege the fort of Asirgar in the kingdom of Kandesh, wrote about the true purpose of this journey. To conquer Goa, Malabar and the entire kingdom of Vijayanagara after subduing the Deccan kingdoms. One of the covert intentions of the Mughal ambassador's visit to Venkata's court was likely to assess the effectiveness of his army and the strength of his fortresses, aiding Akbar in planning his forthcoming campaign in the south. Father Xavier revealed that this was Akbar's modus operandi for gauging the enemy's strength. He would frequently send one of his courtiers with the title of ambassador, although the real purpose was espionage, to ascertain what the Portuguese were doing or capable of doing especially during the arrival of ships from Portugal to estimate the wealth and manpower brought in. A similar approach was likely employed in Venkata's court. Therefore, Father Koteno's suspicion that Venkata had assembled a formidable army with excellent generals for the specific purpose of repelling Akbar's forces and defending the northern cities and fortresses against a potential Mughal invasion was well-founded. Eventually, Akbar successfully captured the fortress of Asirgar, further fueling his ambitious desire to unite the entire subcontinent under the Mughal flag. Asirgar fort was a very strategically important location and it was for this reason that it was called the Key to the Deccan. If Mughals or Akbar wanted to invade Deccan in South India, then the Mughals must capture this fort, and which they did. Years later, another embassy was dispatched to Venkata's court to gather fresh information about the Hindu ruler's position. The annual letter from the province of Malabar for the year 1604-1606 reveals that the Jesuit provincial had to wait for an audience with Venkata due to the presence of several embassies at Chandragiri. 
and one of which was from the Mughal emperor himself. However, the sudden death of Akbar in the following year abruptly ended his grandiose plans for conquest, averting the looming Mughal invasion that could have engulfed Vijayanagara and the entire South India. It would have been an entirely different India if Mughals had invaded South India successfully. In 1604 CE, another embassy that the Jesuit provincial encountered in Chandragiri was sent by Ibrahim Adil Shah II of Vijapur. While the historical records provide no further details about this delegation, it suggests that these two erstwhile adversaries had set aside their differences to confront a common enemy, the Mughals. It's possible that Bijapur, like the Portuguese Viceroy, extended an invitation to Vijayanagara to join a defensive alliance against the ambitious designs of the Mughal Emperor. However, this alliance ultimately proved futile, as four decades later, both Bijapur and Golconda would lay claim to Vijayanagara's territories and fortresses. Subsequently, Aurangzeb, the great grandson of Akbar, emerged on the scene, further erasing the remnants of these once mighty Deccan Muslim Sultanates and obliterating the ruins of the once mighty Hindu Vijayanagara Empire. While not much the diplomatic dealings between the Mughal Empire and Vijayanagara Empire were truly a very interesting piece of history. On one hand, we have an emerging Mughal power in the Indian subcontinent and on the other hand, we have an erstwhile mighty Vijayanagara Empire that's reasserting itself while in the last phase of its existence. But it was the diplomatic, military, cultural and trade relations between the Portuguese and Vijayanagara Empire that were much more comprehensive. During this period, Venkata II had interactions with the Portuguese, primarily centered around Santhom and Polikat. Santhom, situated within Vijayanagara's territory, paid a minimal tribute to the emperor, around a quarter percent of imported goods by the sea. However, it fell under the jurisdiction of the Nayak of Tanjavur, requiring an additional tribute to him, starting from around 1600. The Nayak of Tanjavur was responsible for appointing the governor or Adigar of Santhom. Simultaneously, Dutch and English traders began appearing in the southern seas, challenging the Portuguese monopoly and seeking alliances with local rulers. The Dutch and English activities posed challenges to the Portuguese interests in the east. Since 1584 CE, Tensions had been escalating between Spain and England in the European waters. Additionally, the Netherlands had revolted against Spanish rule in 1566. Portugal, now under Spanish rule, faced the consequences of this discord in India. Although a peace treaty had been signed between Spain and England in 1604, including a provision that prohibited the English from venturing to India, or engaging in trade there, British traders continued their activities as if the treaty didn't exist. They used to act more like pirates, 
During this period, John Milton Hall was at Akbar's court, representing Queen Elizabeth and seeking permission from the Mughal emperor for British traders to conduct commerce in his territories under terms similar to those granted to the Portuguese. During the same period, the Portuguese held significant influence in southern India, largely due to their long-lasting friendship with the Vijayanagara emperors and its polity. It was the zenith of Vijayanagara and Portuguese relations. In 1601, Venkata had a strategic plan. He wanted to strengthen his relationship with the Portuguese. So he sent ambassadors along with two Jesuit fathers to meet the viceroy. They carried valuable gifts and a message expressing his desire to be allies with the king of Portugal. This move aimed to establish a defensive alliance likely in response to suspicions about the Mughal emperor Akbar's intentions to invade Vijayanagara territories after the Deccan sultanates were removed out of the way. During the same period, there were ongoing tensions in the city of Santom, or now it's called as Mailapur too, not only among the Portuguese settlers, but also with the neighboring Hindus. These conflicts are highlighted in a letter from Portuguese viceroy to his king in 1613 CE. He mentioned that the residents of Mailapur enjoyed significant freedom, but justice depended on the native citizens' interpretation of their laws. Since the land belonged to King of Vijayanagara, with no garrison or authoritative figure to enforce order, daily troubles persisted between the Vijayanagara natives and the Portuguese. Venkata understood these disputes and recognized the challenging role of the Vijayanagara's provincial governor of the city. The governor appointed by Venkata Raya in 1599 lacked experience, prompting Venkata to instruct the Jesuit father Simaude Saar to oversee the city's well-being through mediation. Venkata Raya also ordered his provincial governor not to take any significant actions without consulting the Jesuits. In fact, a Jesuit letter from 1600 mentions that some disputes between the Vijayanagara governor and the Portuguese were resolved through the efforts of the Portuguese Jesuits. Here is another interesting incident during Raya's rule. In 1608, the same year the Diocese of Mailapur was established, an incident in Santom provoked Venkata Raya's anger against the Portuguese. The incident involved a Portuguese man who in pursuit of a girl, probably Hindu girl, entered this Hindu city. It's likely Madras. And he was fatally stabbed by the Hindus in a nighttime altercation. The Portuguese retaliated, resulting in violence. And the Portuguese man lost his life while his brother was wounded. Upon hearing this news, the Portuguese residents in Santom wanted to attack the fort immediately. But their captain delayed their action until the following day. Driven by the desire for revenge and pressured by the deceased man's relatives, the captain led a well-armed crew to the Hindu town, which was subsequently sacked and many people were killed. Additionally, they set fire to a fortress where the Adigar had taken refuge 
near Santom. The Adigar reported these events to Venkata. But as per the Jesuits, who clearly had their own biases, claimed that the Vijayanagara governor's account had distorted the truth and was false. The Jesuits also blamed Venkata's queen, who seemingly held significant power at that time and had supposedly used this incident to manipulate the king against the Portuguese. We really don't know how much of it is true, for sure, but safe to say that we can take the biased Jesuit accounts with a pinch of salt, due to the nature of the issue at hand. So Venkata becomes furious at this belligerent attitude and brazen violence of Portuguese in one of his cities, and declared that he would destroy the very foundations the Portuguese inhabited city. He even considered seeking alliances with the Dutch and others. Fearing a potential siege, the residents of Santom sent Father Rector Nicholas Levanto to the king to appease him. Initially, the king was unwilling to discuss matters related to Santom due to the perceived offence. However, with time, Venkata's anger gradually subsided and he received Father Levanto with affection. Ultimately, an amicable resolution was reached, with the king agreeing to the Portuguese request, including the removal of the Adigar or fort captain. This incident, which could have been disastrous for Santom, ended on a more peaceful note. Now, why Venkataraya let the Portuguese go unpunished without any sort of repercussions for the violence against his citizens is a bit difficult to fathom fully because we don't have the exact records or the correspondence or the intelligence on this matter between the Portuguese and the Vijayanagara side. What I think is either Venkataraya's well-recorded soft corner for the Portuguese Jesuit priests got the better of him or Vijayanagara's diplomatic policy trumped ultimately in his decision-making. All of this can only be speculated at this time without the strong evidence. Now, this was not the last of the incidents of the Portuguese settlers. There were many other incidents that had brought the relations between both these nations to a boiling point, which finally culminated in the siege of Mailapur by Vijayanagara forces and then a ceasefire after an uneasy truce. By the end of Venkataraya's reign, closer to his death, the diplomatic relations between Vijayanagara and Portuguese were much strained. And after the death of the Raya, finally the Portuguese made up their mind to break free of Vijayanagara and establish their own authority on native provinces. Finally, let's end this episode with an excerpt from the Chronicles of Jesuit Priests, in which they detail one of their meetings with Venkataraya. What is interesting in this is the slight display of naivety of Venkataraya that sometimes can be atypical of medieval Hindu rulers when it comes to their interactions with evangelizing missionaries. They're overly, they tend to be overly generous. Um, and magnanimous to the point that they fail to see the dangers of eventual proselytization to their own populace and kingdom. The Jesuits wrote 
this in their letters about this meeting quote they were warmly welcomed by the emperor venkata on the appointed day the emperor sat on a mat leaning against a pillow with the crown prince and others nearby he wore a yellow attire after customary greetings they stood before him close to the throne the emperor expressed his joy at their visit and promised to send them off with honors and gifts mentioning that he had heard of them through oberaya the offered presents including a heart-shaped jewel symbolizing love and loyalty the emperor accepted graciously and reciprocated with gifts for the fathers venkata inquired about their way of life comparing them to sanyasis and acknowledging their learning the audience concluded with an explanation of christian sacraments contrasting them with brahmanical ablutions and explaining how the christian ways were better than the hindu ways the priests of venkata's royal court present there expressed admiration here i have to add supposedly this admiration by these venkata's priests in the court was probably was supposed to keep venkata happy by not disagreeing with him openly continuing the court oberaya the right hand man of the king informed the fathers that the king intended to provide them with two villages a golden pallaki and permission to build churches throughout his dominions they were even allowed to build a church in chandragiri following this they returned to santhom marking the beginning of venkata's friendship with the jesuits and court so that was one of the excerpts from the jesuit letters about how they met venkata raya but as of 1611 ce all jesuit missions to the courts of venkata in chandragiri and vellore had been abandoned and no missionaries were allowed back after the last jesuit was removed from the court so my theory on this is that probably by 1611 probably by 1611 venkata raya was all already very aged and sick and the administration of the empire was being managed by his wife and um, his brother in law so probably um, they recognized the threat of the evangelizing missionaries or the portuguese and they decided to keep them away uh, now that venkata raya didn't have any say on whether yeah um, i should not say say but you know he was not uh, available uh, due to his health and as i conclude this episode we find ourselves at the threshold of a new chapter in the reign of venkata raya his encounters with the portuguese and jesuits mark both the beginning and end of significant developments in his reign join me in the next installment as we delve deeper into the final years of this remarkable ruler's journey i would like to extend my gratitude to all my listeners for joining me on this historical expedition if you have enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe and leave a review your feedback and support are greatly appreciated Until next time this is your host Narendra Vikram stay curious and have a nice day thank you